want to turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 23 this morning. We are in a series, short series, 11 weeks, in the kind of in the middle of Jeremiah right now. Jeremiah has 52 chapters, I believe. Yeah, 52. But it has the most material of any book in the Bible. So we're kind of taking Jeremiah in bite-sized pieces. Let's read the text, verses 1 through 8 this morning, and then we'll pray. Jeremiah 23, 1. Woe to the shepherds who are destroying and scattering the sheep of my pasture, declares the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord God of Israel concerning the shepherds who are tending my people. You've scattered my flock and driven them away and have not attended to them. Behold, I am about to attend to you for the evil of your deeds, declares the Lord. Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of all the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. I will raise up shepherds over them and they will tend them and they will not be afraid any longer nor terrified nor will any be missing, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I'll raise up David, a righteous branch, and he will reign as king and act wisely and do justice and righteousness in the land. In his days, Judah will be saved and all Israel will dwell securely. And this is his name by which he will be called the Lord, our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt. But, as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the north land and from all the countries where I have driven them, then they will live on their own soil. Father, thank you for the words of Jeremiah, the prophecy. May it speak to each one of our hearts. May the words that were spoken by this fine man, by the Spirit of the living God, Stir our hearts, open our hearts, open our eyes that we might see indeed who he's talking about here and what he's saying to us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All of us who are Christians are fond of saying this phrase and perhaps you've said it yourself. You see, Christianity is not a religion but a a relationship. See, you know that. It's a relationship. We're always going about saying the fact that we know the Lord. We know the Lord. Now, if those two statements are true, and they are, then we should consider the Lord as more than just the man upstairs. He's a little bit more than the man upstairs. He is the creator of of everything. He is the holy, all-powerful, righteous, reigning king of the universe. Now it says in Romans chapter 1 that if we examine creation, we can discover some of his invisible attributes. Doesn't it say that? And his divine nature says that in Romans 1. We can learn something about just looking at creation. It says in Romans chapter 2, that he, even apart from his word, has written his law upon our conscience. It says that. So we can learn some things there. 
it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that these things are written for uh, an example, for our instruction. So what we see in the Bible on how he dealt with people throughout the ages is written for us so that we might see how he deals with people and we might know his ways. That brings us to our chapter this morning. In this chapter, things are not going so well in Jerusalem these days. Not well at all. And in the eight verses, Jeremiah, speaking of the word of the Lord, says how God is going to react to these times. And especially the folks who have kind of been in charge of Jerusalem for the last few years. Now the context, if you want to turn with me just back to chapter 22, which we only covered a few verses last week. But the context is, when Jeremiah started his ministry, there was a king called Josiah. Josiah, and he was the last two thumbs up king in Jerusalem. He was a good man. He loved the Lord and he led the people towards the Lord. Well, he got messing with the Pharaoh Necho, ended up getting killed in a battle. And uh, after he was killed, they appointed his son, verse 11, a fellow called Shalom, S-H-A-L-U-M. We know him as Jehoahaz. Jehoahaz. He was appointed by the people of Jerusalem after his daddy died, but he only served for three months. And then when Pharaoh Necho came back to Jerusalem, he kicked him out, and he appointed another son of Josiah, a fellow called Jehoiakim, verse 18. Now Jehoiakim, he lasted for 11 years, 11 years, and he was not a good king at all. As a matter of fact, many people felt that he was assassinated by his own people. Because what happened during his 11 years reign, Egypt began to decline and Babylon began to reign. And as the king of Babylon came near to Jerusalem, they decided because Jehoiakim was rebelling against Babylon to kill him, to kind of appease Nebuchadnezzar in the hopes that he wouldn't destroy the city. Well, when, Bab- when Babylon got to the gates of the city for the first time, um, Nebuchadnezzar pointed a guy called Coniah, chapter 22, verse 24, fella called Coniah. His name in the Bible is also called Jehoiachin, who was the son of Jehoiakim. He only served three months, and boop, out he went. Then King Nebuchadnezzar appointed the present king during this time, a fellow called Zedekiah. He lasted 11 years, and he was not a good king. As a matter of fact, he rebelled against Babylon, and it was him and his actions that caused the final destruction of Jerusalem in five. 86. 
Now, the reason I gave that kind of brief outline, because basically that's what chapter 22 is about, the second half, which we haven't covered um, in a sermon. That sets the context for chapter 23. And what he's about to say is a result of those troubled times. And in his response to these troubled times, the Lord reveals five characteristics, five characteristics that you need to remember. In his dealings with Jerusalem, in his dealings with Judah and the people of Israel, he reveals some important characteristics that were important for them to know, but also important for us. And so I want to, I want to talk about that in these eight verses here this morning. First thing we see in verses 1 and 2, his justice, how the Lord deals with those who are destroying his people. Notice verse 1 and 2. Woe to the shepherds. Who is he talking about? The kings we just talked about. And their princes and their sub-rulers, those who are in charge of the political realm and those who are in charge of the spiritual realm, the prophets and priests, all those people who were kind of leading up Israel. Woe to those who are destroying and scattering my sheep, declares the Lord. You have scattered my flock and driven them away. You have not attended to them. You have not attended to them. And then notice the words that you don't want to hear. He says, and now I am going to attend to you. (laughs) Did you ever have your mother say that to you when you were a little kid? Neil, you keep that up and I am going to attend to you in just a minute. Now, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 31, the writer of Hebrews says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. And when the Lord says to Jerusalem and the leaders of that day, you know, you've been doing some evil and I am going to attend to you. He's not talking about blessing them. He's talking about judging them, disciplining them. Now, So the first thing that we need to know about the character of God in this passage is His justice. Because His justice springs from His holiness and His righteousness. And He will judge those who do evil. And especially to those who have destroyed His people and lead His people astray. Two reasons why this should be important for me today. And for you. You might want to write these down. Before I give them to you, you have to remember that we have a problem with time. Don't we? We have a problem with time. We always want something when. I mean, how did we live without microwaves? I mean, how did, how did we live without a microwave? I mean, oatmeal? Just put it in there, put a little water, whoop. Two minutes and 20 seconds, I got a bowl of oatmeal. Not from the, not from the regular ground up, but the, the real whole oats. Two minutes, 20 seconds, the microwave. I got a bowl of oatmeal. How did it live? We want everything now. Now remember that when we talk about the application. First application, why should we remember his justice? 
it should cause us to walk in the fear of the Lord. His judgment, his discipline should uh, kind of <laughs> get us so that we don't give in to the things of the flesh. It should cause us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Our problem, however, is time. And here's what I mean by time. We begin to stray. Maybe we begin to do something evil. And then we think, okay, here it comes. And no fire from heaven. The ground doesn't open up and swallow us up. And we think, oh, (laughs) well, look at that. He didn't see me. He didn't notice. He doesn't care, or worse yet, he approved of what I did. No, 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 no. Don't don't think that. (laughs) Don't think that. He is a righteous, holy God who will judge and discipline us. So it could cause us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Not give in to the things of the flesh, but give in to the things of the Spirit. That's the first reason this is important. The second reason is, we oftentimes see others who have done evil to us. Maybe you've had somebody like that. Or somebody who has done evil to the kingdom of God, and they seem to get away with it. Have you ever seen anybody? And they just, matter of fact, they seem to prosper. And we're thinking... What is the deal here? Matter of fact, I think it's Psalm 37 says, fret not when you see the prosperity of the wicked. And what happens to us? We see them and we know God's going to judge them, but what's the problem? We want it now. Now. Do it now, God. Now, you have to remember our favorite scripture, Romans 8.28. And what is it? Romans 8.28. God causes all things to work together. So he's working his plan, okay? Here it is, these two things. And wow, you're taking so long. You're taking... Takes a little time. Takes a little time. We're kind of scatterbrained. We're doing all this stuff. And he's working his plan out. He's working his plan. And then he brings his plan together in his time and see what our problem is we see this person they've gotten away with it so what do we do we get to messing with them we're going to get them we'll get even with them and what does the Bible say vengeance is mine I will repay says the Lord now the reason that's bad for us to get messing with people who've messed with us or messed with the kingdom of God oftentimes we go too far (laughs) In other words, we do it too much. They didn't deserve what we gave them, but we give it to them a double fold. And then we do evil to them, and then we, in turn, will have to be dealt with by the Lord. Or even, perhaps, we do the wrong person. We thought it was John, but it actually was Sue. And so we do the wrong person. Or we do it too lightly. They really deserved more, but we gave it too lightly to them. We need to remember, God will take care of those who have done evil. God will take care of them. It's okay. And he'll do it in his perfect time as he works all these variables together and he brings it together in a perfect way. And that works both for those who have done evil to us and it also works for us. 
So just because the fire hasn't come down from heaven for the evil that you've done, don't think that he did not see. He did see. And should cause you to walk that narrow path. Many years ago, when Pastor Jimmy, our previous pastor, was getting ready to go overseas as a missionary to Philippines, we had a young man come to our church. And um, he wanted to work with the junior high boys, and he just seemed like they had all the credentials. Everything was just, he had degrees and experience and all this other stuff. And he began to lie to Pastor Jimmy and Shonda. And he told them that he was going to help them quite a bit financially. He was just going to do this thing. He's going to be wonderful. And I could see that Jim was really kind of trusting in him. But we found out through a whole series of events that I don't need to talk to you about that the guy was a pathological liar. None of what he had said to Jim and me was true. None. When we confronted him, he denied it all and ran away. He eventually just ran out of the office and said he was being persecuted by us. Well, as things would have it, Jim and Shonda raised their funds and they went on to the Philippines and they've had a wonderful ministry since that time. Done deal. And we just never saw him again. For about a year, I didn't see him. Maybe it was a little bit more. And then one night, I was over at Coco's, over on Alicia Parkway, what was Alicia. On Monday night, which was my day off that day, I was doing a counseling session and I am never at Coco's at 9.30 on a Monday night. I mean, never. I mean, never, never, never. So I'm dealing with this particular problem, this person, and I just kind of glance across the room, and away across the room, there he is, meeting with three or four other men. And so I said, um, excuse me for a minute, I'm going to deal, I'll deal with you in a minute. <laughs> but I need to go across the room. So I walked across the room and I shook his hand. I said, well, how are you doing? And I think his name was Jim. How you doing? And his eyes got like, went like this. I was the last person that he wanted to see that day. You know the other person he didn't want to see? Pastor Jimmy, but he was in the Philippines. And you know what he was doing? This was a board, a small board of a church in Tribuco Canyon that he was lying to just as he had lied to Pastor Jimmy and lied to me. And see, it was all working out, all working out, working out, working out, and all of a sudden at Coco's at 9.30 on Monday night. (laughs) 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 And God used me. And I was able to contact, find out who those guys were, and they, out he went and saved. Now, it wasn't me. It was God, because I don't, I, I never, I didn't belong at Coco's. I was never at Coco's. It just, there was a series of events where God just got him. Now, he's not finished with that young man. I pray that he would repent. But we got him that night. <laughs> Me and God, we got him. His justice. <laughs> don't forget it. Second quality we see in verse 3. His power how the Lord regathers his people to the land. Look at verse 3. 
Then I myself will gather the remnant of my flock out of the countries where I have driven them and bring them back to their pasture and they will be fruitful and multiply. Now, at this time, the ten northern tribes have already been exiled. They're gone. They were taken captive by Assyria years before. So he's not talking about bringing the ten tribes back. Right now, only Benjamin and Judah are kind of hanging on to the land. They will be deported in 586 to Babylon. He's not talking about bringing them back uh, after the Babylonian captivity. Why do I say that? Look at the context. Look at verses 5 and 6. He's talking about David, a righteous branch. That's the context. Who's he talking about there? Who's the righteous branch? Jesus. Look at verse 6. His name is called the Lord our righteousness. So the context is in the coming of David, the seed of David, seeding and being king of Israel. And he's called the Lord's our righteousness. He's talking about the second coming. And so what he is saying when he's gathering the people together, he's talking about gathering the Jewish nation back together at the second coming of the, of the Messiah. He's talking about when Israel is regathered. Now, we have already begun to see that happen, have we not? Amen. We've already begun. It's not fulfilled, it's not complete, but we've seen a little bit of that happening. We saw it beginning in the late 1800s, early 1900s. Some of the Jewish people began to go back to the land. And then in 1948, the Jewish nation was reborn. And those of us who know the Bible, all of a sudden we sat up and thought, whoa, oh boy. And that was evidence of God's power. That had never happened before. Never, ever happened. That a nation was completely gone for 19 centuries and then all of a sudden reborn, that was the impossible. It was the power of God. It'd be like herding cats and nailing jello to the wall. Only God could do something like that. It was the very power of God bringing his people back together again. What is the troubling issue in the world today? It's Israel, isn't it? Now, we think it's the Islamic terrorists. It's not that. Because if Israel wasn't there, they'd be content to do whatever they want. But the problem is Israel. They're surrounded by enemies, are they not? And guess what? If you look in the Bible, that's exactly what we find, exactly what we find that happens just before the second coming of Jesus Christ. The nation of Israel is surrounded by enemies. And that is the issue that we find today. And what we see, what we see in the regathering of Israel just prior to the second coming is evidence of his power You know that for almost 19 centuries, the church basically said, okay, Israel's finished. They rejected the Messiah. They're done. And so we believed all the promises of Abraham and David were transferred to who? The church. And then all of a sudden, in 1948 and early 1900s, we kind of, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. We got to revise our theology because it's evident that God is not finished With Israel, God is not finished with our Jewish friends. He is still working. 
And everybody would have thought it was the impossible thing to do. Matter of fact, even the church thought, ah, it's impossible. His power is able to do that which is impossible. Now, the reason we should remember that, because we might be facing a situation and we think, impossible. The bottom is opened up and I am free falling. It's impossible, Pastor Neil. Now, I'm not saying God is going to do it the way you want it to do, because oftentimes he doesn't do that. You understand that. But he can do, even as I say, one of my favorite verses in Ephesians, exceedingly, abundantly, beyond all we ask or think, because he is the God that does the impossible. If he could take a nation that had been scattered for 19 centuries and bring it back together, his power is able to do the impossible. Remember that. We need to remember his justice and his power. Thirdly, his love. Look at verse 4. And I will also raise up shepherds over them, and they will tend, I will tend them, and they will not be afraid any longer, nor be terrified, nor any be missing. What we see here is how the Lord will provide and protect his people. How the Lord will provide and protect his people. Now, in the past, Israel has had rascals for, for leaders. We looked at some of them. They were surrounded by enemies. That's very, very similar today. What we see, the situation in Israel today, is exactly what was spoken of in the Bible. And it shows how close we are to the second coming, even as I said. We even see our current president encouraging Israel to believe the lies of their enemy, that everything's going to be okay. When we know that all those nations that are hostile and surround Israel are only seeking to do what? To destroy it. Nothing new. (laughs) It's written in the Bible. However, the Lord, the Lord is going to provide for his people. The Lord will protect his people. Not because of their actions, but because of his promise. His promise to Abraham. Remember what he said to Abraham? Your seed will be a blessing to all the Gentile nations. And here we're talking about David, who's the seed of Abraham. God will protect and bless his people because of his love for his people. Now, the reason we want to remember that is because Maybe right now you're looking at your own life, at your own inconsistencies, (laughs) your own failures, and you're thinking, well, you know, am I too far from God's love? No, no, no. No, 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 no. We'll talk about this in a minute. But just think about how our Jewish friends have been so faithful throughout the ages (laughs) to God. Uh, Were they faithful? No, no. Many t- starting at Abraham. Just start with Abraham and, and begin to read the stories in the Hebrew Scriptures. And you'll see that they were just as inconsistent and just as fallible as me and you. 
And yet, and yet, and yet, he promises to love them and to fulfill the promises that he made to them. Now, I've kind of separated the next point from the third point because I want to I really, really emphasize his redemptive nature. Now, his redemptive nature is rooted in his love, but when I was talking about his love, I was talking his, his care and protection, protection. Here I want to talk about his redemptive nature, how the Lord will use the seed of David to bless the world. Look at verses 5 and 6. I will raise up... David, a righteous branch. For David, a righteous branch. He will reign as king and act wisely. And his name, says verse 6, is the Lord our righteousness. This is where he's been headed all along. This is where he's been going all along. The seed of David will be king of not only Israel, but of the whole world. In spite in spite of what the Jewish people have done. You see, it's not based on their actions. It's not based on that. It's based on his redemptive nature, which is constantly seeking to redeem Israel and redeem all the... It's like, it's just he's constant. That's his, his nature. He's constantly seeking to redeem. Now, I was talking to Dan Gratz, who's a plumber. He goes to our church and he says, Neil... Um, water is something else. If Have you ever had a roof leak? <laughs> yeah. Have you had a, a leak in your plumbing? If there's a crack, if there's a slightest bit of hole, it, water will find its way out. You can't contain it. You can't contain it. It's ceaselessly, unyielding, trying to release itself. It's a little bit of a picture of what God's redemptive life nature is it never gives up it relentless it is relentless and we see here in spite of all our Jewish friends did to stop it boom at the end of this age there's a Jew who's king of the world and his name is Jesus you see his redemptive nature cannot cannot be stopped. Consider all the roadblocks going all the way back to Abraham. Do you remember Stephen? He's one of the first Christian martyrs. He's dragged before the court, the Sanhedrin, the leaders of the Jewish nation. And you know what he does? They ask him, well, are these things true? And rather than kind of answering their charge, he begins to rehearse Beginning at Abraham, do you remember the chapter? Chapter 7, one of the longest chapters in the book of Acts. He begins to rehearse all the failures of the Jewish people. Beginning at Abraham, boom, 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 boom. He just bangs right through them all. And then he ends, he ends his little speech with these words in verse 51 of chapter 7 of the book of Acts. He says, now he turns to the Jewish leaders and says, you men who are stiff-necked, uncircumcised in heart and ears, are always resisting the Holy Spirit. And you're doing just as your fathers did. So he's talking to them presently, and he's going all the way back to Abraham. 
Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You you who received the law, who received the character of God as ordained by angels, and yet you did not keep it. There it is. And so, in spite of all that they tried to do against it, his redemptive nature kept pushing and pushing and pushing. It will not relent until his plan was established. It's an expression of his redemptive nature. He's constantly seeking to redeem that which is lost. It's just part of God. Now, two applications. Why is that important for us to remember? First, you might be sitting here this morning and you're thinking, well, Pastor Neil, you know, I really appreciate what you're saying, but I'm too far gone. (laughs) You know, I've been captive to my sin nature for so long, it's just bent my very character. Bent my very character. I can't get free from it. I can't be set free. It seems to seems to have a hold of me. And many times, many times, I don't want to even be free of it. I just I, I've just given myself into it, so I can't break free. It's bound and chained me. It's impossible for me to be redeemed by God. Oh, really? <laughs> really? Do you remember what the Jewish folks said to Jesus just before they crucified him? What did they say? They said, Let his blood be upon me, us, and who? Our children. And guess what? Guess what? <laughs> There's a Jew going to be king of the world. Really? His redemptive love can't reach you? <laughs> you don't know the power and the redemption of God. Second application. Perhaps, perhaps you have someone who you love, someone that you care for. And you've been witnessing to them and praying for them and sharing with them and speaking to them of the love of Christ, but yet they just seem to not be interested. And you're thinking, they're gone, Neil. There's no hope for them at all. Oh, really? (laughs) Really? You think so? Okay. Don't you know that those words, those loving words, have been planted in their heart? They won't show it. Oftentimes they won't show it. See, we we want it when? Show me the meat. Where's the meat? That's what we want. But those words are in their hearts. Those prayers that you've prayed... God has heard them and is working on their heart. Working on their heart. Now, you know what the Bible says. The Bible says that whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Doesn't that say that? All you've got to do is call on the name of the Lord. Well, what does that mean? Well, let's use an example. How about the thief on the cross? Classic example. He said just a few minutes or maybe an hour before he died, he said, 
Jesus, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Those words. He didn't say, I receive you as my Lord and Savior and I now repent of my sins. All he said was what? Remember me, Lord, when you come into your kingdom. Now, what was he doing? He was saying, I believe who you are and I'm putting my trust in you. And that moved him from a place of going to Hades to a place of being, what did Jesus say? Today, you'll be in paradise. Today, you'll be in paradise. Jesus, just remember me. Now, listen very carefully. Oftentimes, the door to spiritual life does not begin to open until the door of this life begins to close. Let me say that again. The door to spiritual life does not begin to open until this door of this life begins to close. You see, the devil thinks his tool is death, but guess what? God and his wisdom and his power, he uses death to save thousands, if not millions of people. Why? Because his redemptive love never, never quits. Finally, fifth one, verses seven and eight, his wisdom, how the Lord uses our need to exalt his plans. How the Lord uses our need to exalt his plans. You see, when Israel was enslaved in Egypt, they would cry out to the Lord, Lord, deliver us. So what did he do? He sent Moses, we had the ten plagues, we had the Passover, and we have the Exodus. That's what happened. He delivered his people. Amen? And the preeminent event of all of the Hebrew scriptures, first half of the Bible, the preeminent event is what? The plagues, the Passover, and the exit. They're always referring to that. They're always referring to that. That's the event that we should remember. Our Jewish friends, they're always talking about the Exodus, the Passover. Look what he says here. Verse 7, Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they will no longer say, as the Lord lives, who brought up the sons of Israel from the land of Egypt, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led back the descendants of the household of Israel from the Northland and from all the countries where I have driven them. You know what he's saying? That preeminent event of the Hebrew Scriptures is going to be what? Superseded by what event? By the event when he draws all his people back together to the land and establishes the seed of David, the Lord who is righteous on the throne of the world. And then, then, that will be the preeminent event not just the Passover, which was only really a picture of what God intended to do in the first place. That was his plan all along. It wasn't just the Exodus, the Passover and the Exodus. That was just a small picture of what he really wanted to do, which he talks about in verses 5, 6, 7, and 8. It was his plan all along. We never saw it. (laughs) We sinned against it. We tried to frustrate it. (laughs) 
But in his wisdom, he used our need to establish his plan. In the book of Romans, Paul talks in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11 about Israel. Because everybody's thinking, well, if Jesus is now the Messiah and there's a new covenant, what about Israel? And so he spends three chapters talking about Israel. And he concludes with verse 33. Now listen to what he says. Which was establishing David the seed of David, the Lord our righteousness, the Messiah, as king of the world. Look what he says. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments, unfathomable his ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who became his counselor? Or who has given to him that it might be paid back to him again? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. Oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and the unsearchableness of his judgments. The Lord pulled it all together. He used our need to establish his plan. And we fought against it. We didn't realize it, but his redemptive love pushes us towards that time when Jesus, the seed of Abraham, the seed of David, will rule the world from Jerusalem. Okay. Some things that we need to remember about God. Now, from time to time, I talk about some of the things that I do on my day off. What's the key to understand what I do on my days off? Just ask Nancy. I love to be outside. I hate to be in the house. If I get two or three days of rain together and I have off, uh, I'm like a bear. Just ask Nancy. Why? I don't want to be in the house. I want to be outside. That's the key. So if you find me at the beach or in my garden or doing something, I'd love to be outside. That's the key. I want to be outside. And you're saying, what has this got to do with the sermon? It's got everything to do with it. Everything to do with it. What's the key to understanding God, to knowing Him, to knowing about His justice, His power, His love, His redemptive nature, and His wisdom? What have we been talking about? Jesus, He's the key. He said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but through me. He is the key. Jesus is the key. Now, here's the question. Here's the question for you. Do you know the Lord through His Son, Jesus Christ? He's the key. He is the way in to begin to understand the all-powerful, righteous God. He is more than the man upstairs, guys. And that key is Jesus. Now, if you know Jesus and you've accepted Him and you've transferred your faith from yourself to Him and you're trusting only in Him, are you appropriating, this is the second application, are you appropriating the fact that He is calling you to walk in the fear of the Lord? Do you understand His power that He can do 
what seems to us impossible. Are you putting your trust in His love, His redemptive love for you, for this church, and for the world? And you're putting your trust in His wisdom. Because just about the time you think you've got God in a box, you know what? He breaks out of it. (laughs) Because He's not interested in doing it your way. He's interested in doing it the right way. Let's pray. Father, help us to know you. To have a relationship with you by knowing you like a good friend. As we study your word. Especially as we've looked at this passage, these eight verses in chapter 23. May your heart, may your love, may your wisdom, may your power, may your redemptive love for your people, Israel and for us, the Gentiles. Be evident in our lives, we pray in your name. Amen.